the God who does the impossible. Father, help us today. Lord, this is all about you. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are our all in all. Father, I pray that your anointing would be here to teach. Lord, that I would speak what you want me to say. And Lord, um, people would hear what you want to hear. But Lord, I, I pray, God, that uh, you would glorify yourself in each of us. Not only today, Lord God, but <clears throat> each day that other people would come to know you and that you would be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to talk about something that I fall short in, and that's faith. I've wondered about the importance of prayer and the effectiveness of my prayers, and I thought about uh, the important component of faith in, in prayers. I've thought about things in my life that hinder faith. I've also thought about things that strengthen faith. This is really important in, in the story of uh, the widow who continued to ask the judge who didn't fear God or respect man for legal protection. She just kept on coming back and she persevered. But at the end of that story, Jesus says this, However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? I hope he finds faith in each of us. The definition of faith is Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now the way we are built is that many of us will not believe until we see. We will not believe until we feel it, taste it. But in God's kingdom, it's the opposite. We will not see until we believe. And that's the, that's the rule. God has set the rules. And his kingdom is more real than what we see. So where does faith come from? I've shared this a number of different times, but I, I, I learned so much during this time when my wife was, was sick with extreme vertigo where she couldn't stand and, and she'd have to lay down. And this whole process went on for a long period of time where we visited a number of physicians and facilities and no one could put a diagnosis on it. But during that time, and when you go through trials, the question will be posed either by yourself or somebody else. Do you have enough faith? Is that the reason that you are suffering? Do you have enough faith? And I did ask that question. I don't remember if it was posed to me because people were going out of their way to suggest things. I, you know, I was just concerned for what was happening. Um, but the Lord in his mercy answered that question for me. In Acts... 3.16, this is when Peter and John had healed the man. And Peter says this, And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Which comes through him. I don't have to conjure up faith. 
If I know Jesus Christ, I have faith. If I know Jesus Christ, I have a reservoir of faith. And sometimes in life, everything around you can be stripped. The things that I have held on to, that gave me encouragement, that gave me support, they can be completely stripped from your life. And a lot of times I believe that's God-ordained. Because in this situation, no matter what, the bottom line is, is I know Jesus Christ. And a lot of times that's all you have, is the relationship, the personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what hinders faith? Sin. Psalm 38, 18 says, I am full of anxiety because of my sin. I've been there too many times where I know that I have done something wrong and either I'm rationalizing it. If I've hurt somebody, I'll say, well, that person will get over it. I'm rationalizing it somehow or another, but you know, I've lost the peace. And there are moments where I'm anxious because of my sin. One of the biggest problems in my life, and not in every circumstance, is being who God wants me to be. In order for me to have faith, I need to be who God has created me to be. In the Message Bible, in chapter 14, verse 23, it says this. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. But if you're not sure, if you notice that you are acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, some days trying to impose your opinions on others, other days just trying to please them, then you know that you're out of line. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. I need to recognize who God has created me to be. Not what you think I need to be. I need to be comfortable with who God has created me. And you know something? In a lot of circumstances of life, you may feel that way. This morning in Sunday school, we were talking about, or in a prayer class, we were talking about the Apostle Paul talking about that I am crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. Can you think, you know what? And, you may feel that in certain circumstances you are doing quite well, but you know, God in his mercy will put you in a circumstance where that's not the case. I've been in a situation for a number of years where I've not been who I'm supposed to be because of fear of consequences for being somebody that I'm supposed to be and stating my opinion the way it should be stated. I cannot be a man of faith until... I am who God has created me to be. We live in a society, and it's in the church too, because I think it's just part of who we are. We love people that tell us what we want to hear. We gravitate towards being enabled. Do you like hearing the truth when it hurts? 
I don't. I like being enabled. God wants us to be real. He wants us to be transparent. And I think the first step to that is to say, Lord, help me to be who you want me to be. Help me to be transparent. Help me to be real. Now, if you're thinking of somebody else right now, you are on the wrong path. I'm human. I know this is an issue for most people. I don't care how long you've known the Lord. Because once you think you have it, God puts you in a circumstance where you do not have it. Sin hinders faith. Not being who God has created you and me to be hinders faith. The next biggest problem is self. Most of us in here are less than 100 years old. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's before the foundation of the world. I am prone to failure and sin. He's perfect. Quite often, my emotions will dictate my behavior. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am not always faithful. He's always faithful. I have parts of my heart that are delusional. He's just righteous and pure. I want to tell you something. I've been speaking about this because it's true, and I think the Lord wants to start dealing with this in people's lives. If you don't think that you are delusional in some area, you are profoundly delusional. <laughs> so when we look at this, why do we put faith in ourselves? Why do we put faith in imperfection when we could put it in somebody who is perfect? Look at your daily situations and your trials. How often do you let pride get in the way? Do we really trust God in the circumstances of life? What are you dealing with right now? Who are you trusting in? Your own abilities or Jesus Christ? So I ask the question, why do we put more faith in ourselves and God? Because that's a reality. Is it because we love ourselves more than God? In Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, he's not saying that you don't love these people. But in comparison to our love to him, it's got to be pretty small. And what he's really saying is that we ought to be solely devoted to him. Now, as I'm going through this, I have come up short in these areas that I'm talking about. And my hope is that you will see that you also are coming short in many of these areas. The third thing that hinders faith is our attitude. Does faith really operate in my life when I am critical, fault-finding, insisting on my own way? Does, does faith really work with that type of attitude? 
Oswald Chambers says this, God is not concerned about our plans. He doesn't ask, do you want to go through this loss of a loved one, this difficulty, or this defeat? No, he allows these things for his own purpose. The things we are going through are either making us nobler, sweeter men and women, or they're making us more critical, fault-finding, insisting more on our own way. The choices that we make in these situations are either making us more evil. Because you're a believer doesn't mean that you're not prone to evil. If you think you're not, that's another delusion. The choices we make are either making us more evil or more saintly. Can God make a sinner into a saint? Yes. Uh, I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to do more devotional time. I'm going to pray more. Oswald Chambers says, that's just religious common sense. We'd rather do something than trust in God. We'd rather do something rather than to believe in God. Can a twisted life be made right? A lot of the choices we make depend on uh, the level of relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. I've said this before. I I would say about 15 years ago, uh, 16, 17 years ago, the church started hearing the word intimacy. Prior to that, I didn't really hear it. But God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. Yeah, he is looking forward to the day when he can look to us face to face and we can see him face to face. But we can get into the process of right now of getting into that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So then what increases faith? Intimacy with God. In Galatians 5, 6, it says, but faith working through love. Do I see more clearly with eyes of love or do I see more clearly with a critical, negative spirit? Some people say, I can't see the Holy Spirit working here. My question is, what attitude do you have? If you have a desire to come in here in an innocent way and look for God to be doing something, not judging, not being critical, you're more apt to see the Holy Spirit working. Besides, when you're at the judgment seat of Christ, it isn't whether you thought these people should have had the Holy Spirit working through them. The question is going to be, was the Holy Spirit working through you? You know, intimacy not only requires love, it requires something else. In Psalm 25, 14, it says that the secret, it also says the counsel and the intimacy of the Lord is for those who fear him. When you are in an intimate relationship, I tell my wife things I'm not going to tell you. Because I'm intimate with her. 
I have a core of friends around me that are intimate, not as intimate as I am with my wife, who I will tell secrets to, that I will seek counsel from. That's the same thing with our relationship with the Lord. Yes, we need to abide in his love, but we need to have a reverence for him as well. There's the kindness and the severity of the Lord. It's all good. It says that the fear of the Lord is clean and enduring. What is absent in the church, to a large degree, is that understanding of the judgment seat of Christ. That should be a good thing. That you can deal with this situation right now and not wait until before you're before the judgment seat of Christ. We need to have an eternal perspective that I'm going to be there someday. And in my relationship with the Lord, I not only want to abide in his love, I want to have a healthy fear of God in my life. The fear that brings reverence. Not be afraid, but a healthy understanding that I am dealing with the God of the universe who is holy. Intimacy helps our faith. Another one is obedience. In Luke 17, verses 5 through 10, it says this, and perhaps you've requested this. It says, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a mustard seed, just a little mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But which of you have any slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Jesus answered their request. What you need is just a little bit of faith, like the mustard seed. That's all you need. The other component is obedience. When you are with the Lord by yourself, and he's telling you to do something, you need to do that. When God asks you to reconcile with somebody, you need to do that. When you need to apologize to your spouse, you need to do that. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, one act of obedience can bring more revelation than a semester in seminary school. Because Jesus isn't common sense, he's revelation sense, and he reveals through obedience. One of the missionaries that we've supported for decades is Chad Stendhal. Chad Stendhal was an engineer called by the Lord to go and be a missionary, and he's been in Colombia for probably four decades. But one of his things is he interprets the Bible into the native language, so he's very astute about what words in the Bible mean. 
And I remember him saying about Romans 10, 17, where it says that faith comes from hearing and by hearing the word of God. He says what that really means is faith comes by hearing and obeying the word. So faith comes by obedience and intimacy. It also comes by authority. Matthew 8, 5, 10, Jesus says, And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him and treated him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said, to those who were following, truly, when Jesus says truly, pay attention. Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Now, think about this. You, my first impression is this, this centurion, he's just a man of faith that really impressed Jesus Christ. But that's not what Jesus was looking at. When this centurion said, for I too am a man under authority, the reason he said to, T-E-T-O-O, is he recognized that Jesus was a man under authority. He was under the authority of the Father. And therefore, he had all the power of heaven behind him. The centurion, likewise, although he had soldiers underneath him, understood that being under authority, he had the power of the most powerful nation behind him. He had Caesar and the entire Roman Empire, the army, behind him. The world is becoming more and more disrespectful of authority. But if Jesus said he's going to build his church, I don't think we're going to see that in the church. I think one revelation that he's been giving me over the last couple of years is the importance of being under authority. Think about it. When you're under authority, I don't care where you are in the body of Christ, you want God to manifest his power through your faith, you will have more faith when you know that you have the power of heaven behind you when you see that the line of power comes down through authority. And we've got a problem with that because we live in a culture that doesn't like authority. Jesus said he's going to build his church. You want the power of heaven behind you in the body of Christ. We need to get under authority. It's in families. When, you t when we talk about authority, we're not talking about abuse. We're talking about being under authority because everybody's under authority and everybody's going to be accountable. It's hard in our society for spouses, women to be under men because of the abuse that's occurred. But if you've got a godly relationship, it ought to be that way. In the church, God has appointed apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. God has set leadership in the church. You may not like them, but you need to realize what's behind it. 
There will be no lone rangers in what I believe is going to be happening in the world and in the church. Because God's power is not going to be perverted. You're going to have the captain of the host and an army that's in line. And he will demonstrate his power through those who are under authority. An authority where faith will glorify God. Something that the Lord has been working on me is joy and thanksgiving. Ecclesiastic 3 says that there's a time for weeping and a time for laughing. There's a time for mourning and a time for dancing. I have a problem. I think we spend way too much time on the negative. There is a time for weeping. There is a time for mourning. But we need to get on. You know something? I can have ten good things happen in my, in my, my uh, day. I can have one negative thing happen in my day, and guess what I'm focusing on? The negative thing. And when I do that, it drains my faith. It hinders my faith. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, that we should rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. I believe that if we begin to discipline ourselves and do these things, our faith will be strong. We can practice our faith by doing something that's really opposed, opposes the flesh, and that's giving thanksgiving in trials. You know what? If you're a believer, you're going to heaven. And that in itself, no matter what circumstance you go through, you can rejoice in. In every circumstance, in every circumstance, in every circumstance, we can give thanks. There's many things that have happened in our life where we can give thanks. And just knowing Jesus Christ is the biggest reason. A couple weeks ago, I uh, just came back from vacation. I got in my pickup, went out, backed up, dro drove, and pickup seemed to be fine. Got out on the service road, and I noticed that the front end was tilted downward. And I didn't go very far. <laughs> I knew that was a flat tire. And these are new tires. I was very thankful that I was not that far away from home. So I drove back. That's okay. Actually, my work day went just fine. But I knew in the evening I was going to have some difficulties. Because I was going to put a new TV set in. Some of you might think that's no big thing. But I am electronically challenged. And, you know, with Jerry's help, we, we, got, we got the wires connected, whatever. And then I had to call the manufacturer to get the access code so it, it would open up and it would scan. And uh, after I was done talking to the rep, I thought I, you know, I thought I got it. And I thought, you know, I'm only getting two stations here. What's the deal? So I called back up and he said, you know, you need to use the other remote. And uh, I did, and I... I went to uh, high definition one. And everything was just fine to a certain extent. You see, when I, when I go to my daughter's places and I have my grand grandchildren that are three and four years old, and then I want to watch TV and there's four remotes there, and I have to ask my four-year-old grandson, now which one do I use? This one, Grandpa. Great. Now there's more than one red button on here. Which button do I push? This one, Grandpa. Yes, I am electronically challenged. 
So the other thing I had to do is change the modem for my computer. Some of you say, that's no big deal. You look back there and you see those mesh of wires. It, it, it's a maze. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to make sure that when I disconnect this and disconnect it over here, that I'm just going to remember that which way. And there's several wires I have to do. And I, you know, I did it. I put the new modem in. It didn't work. So I went back to the old modem and I called Charter. These great technicians. They're on the phone for 25 minutes. She says, you know, I've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> and so I said, send the tech out. And uh, I was sitting around for a while, and I thought, I'm going to go back in there, because I saw some cables that went to nowhere. <laughs> and these are cables that are supposed to screw in in the back, and I'm thinking, how'd they get loose to begin with? But I figured out at least one of them, and I screwed it back in, and it worked. So the internet worked. I got lucky. And so I'm going back, and then I have to call Charter again, because on our screen it says, please wait a moment. The channel will appear shortly. Their definition of moment is not mine. <laughs> so she, I get a hold of the technician, and she says, I'm sending a signal. I said, great. You're sending a, you know, and she says, I'll call you back in 30 minutes. So she calls me back at 20 minutes 11 at night. And we're still we're going through this, and I said, forget it. Just send out a technician. So it's close to 11 o'clock, and I'm turning all the lights off. And normally I can navigate from one part of the house to the other because we have skylights and the moon is shining and I can see maybe the clock somewhere that's shining and so I can navigate. Well, that night the moon was not shining and I couldn't pick up any lights either. And I was half crazed too. <laughs> and in our house, we don't have right angles at the corners. We have 45 degree angles. They were built for maximum impact on small tolls. And, and I proved it that night. And the next morning, that toe was all purple, and it was, came up my foot, and I thought, you know, if you break your toe, you break your toe. There's not much you can do about it. So anyway, that night, um, I didn't rejoice. I did not give thanks initially. I did pray. I said, Father, forgive me for those thoughts. And then I gave thanks because I realized it had been a pretty good day. We're not perfect in this. We're all in the process. But God wants us to become disciplined and focused. We need to focus our minds on giving thanks and rejoicing. That's what a disciple is. Discipline. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy strengthens our faith. So intimacy, joy, and thanksgiving, authority, obedience, strengthen our faith. The next one is something that God has been working on me for a long time. And I obviously don't have it. But it's obtaining a rest in understanding that God orchestrates my circumstances. People have a hard time with that. Because we like to be in control. And a lot of times we see things from our perspective. But it isn't about us anyway. It's about him. Jesus' life was orchestrated by the Father. He didn't do anything unless he saw what the Father was doing. Paul had been shipwrecked a number of times, whipped a number of different times, imprisoned a number, a number of different times. And he says this, God causes all things to work together for good 
For those who love God and are called according to his purpose, when? You can talk about Job. You can talk about Joseph. Joseph told his brothers, he said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good to preserve many people. God always has a plan, and it doesn't make any difference. What we do, our imperfections, our perfections, our sin, he takes all of that, and he causes it to work together for good for those who love him. Psalm 75 says that exaltation doesn't come from the east or west, nor from the desert, but God is a judge. Guess what? He demotes one, and he promotes another. That's what the word says. Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who besides Jesus Christ is the wisest man ever to live, he says, I've examined all of this, and he basically comes to this conclusion that the righteous man, the wise man in his deeds are in the hand of God. Anything awaits him. Could be hate, could be love. God orchestrates his children's lives. Now some of you might say, well, where's the free will? The free will is in the circumstance. We can either choose a godly response or we can choose an ungodly response. But you know, you've, you've heard this said, that life is 10% of what happens to you and the other 90% is our response to it. It is very true. God orchestrates his children's circumstances. Hebrews 4.13, it's not up there, but it says this. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should uh, seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the, the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest. Do you believe that God loves you without any conditions? Do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe that he knew you before you were born? Do you believe that you are his workmanship, created for good works, that you should walk in them? I want to tell you a story about Eric Lytle. There was a movie out in the 80s called Chariots of Fire. And that, that movie was about a real person. Eric Lytle was Scottish. Praise God. Right, Doug? And um, he was born to missionaries in China in 1902. And when the missionaries went on furlough, so they went back to Scotland. A lot of times they would leave their children there for up to seven years so they could get in there educated. And then they'd come back for them. Eric and his brother were left in Scotland for a period of time. And during that time, they noticed that Eric had a gift. He's very fast. And when he was in school, he began to win a lot of track events. And as it turned out, he actually was the fastest human at that particular time. And he uh, had the opportunity to run the 100 meters in the 1924 Paris Olympics. And he really had a strange style of running. They said that his arms would go like windmills when he ran, which is unusual because if you, if you watch runners now, they don't do that. 
And then towards the end, uh, when he got to the finish line, he'd cock his head back and open his mouth. To me, that would be a drag, but not for him. What's interesting is that he was also a man of faith. And um, the 100-yard meter dash was being held on Sunday. And because of that, he refused to run it, even though he probably would have won it. And the, the British Olympic Committee tried to persuade him to run. He wouldn't do it. So they appealed to the International Olympic Committee, and they said no. So <clears throat> there was also the, the 4 by 100 that he would have participated in. So that day, he did not do it. He ran the 400 meter, which he is not known to be good in, and he won it by 5 meters. But the fact that he won the gold medal there is not the reason he was has been remembered and why the movie in 1980 was depicting him. Um, as a matter of fact, in 1980 Olympics, there was another Scottish person who won the 100-meter dash. And um, he said, are you going to dedicate it to anybody? He says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to dedicate it to Eric Lytle. Uh, Eric Lytle wasn't known for winning the gold medal. He was known for sticking to his principles and walking the talk. That's only half the story. He went back to China to be a missionary. And actually, he spoke all around the world. And he was not an eloquent speaker. And he, he was actually quite shy. But he said, if God's called me to do this, he'll give me the power and strength to do it. And he spoke through, to some difficult crowds. But they really liked him because of his humility and his, his sense of humor of himself. But he went back to China. And uh, he married a woman who also came from a family of missionaries. Uh, and in 1939, they had two girls, and, she, and, the, and Mrs. Lido was pregnant. And at that time, 1939, the Japanese were becoming very aggressive. And they were concerned about them invading China. And so they decided that Mrs. Lido and the two girls would go to Canada and be safe. And as Eric saw them leaving the ship, that's the last time he saw them. And shortly after, J Japan invaded China. And what happened is that all the foreigners were put in internment camps. And um, as Eric's oldest daughter found out later on, Eric had a tremendous influence on people there as a man of God. There were 300 kids who had been separated from their parents. Can you imagine that? They were separated from their parents. And Eric became a father and a spiritual father to them and had a great impact on their lives. In... 2008, during the Beijing, the Olympics in China, in 2008, the Chinese government divulged that actually Eric Lytle had been part of a prisoner exchange between the British and the Japanese, but he gave up his spot to a pregnant woman. Otherwise, he could have gone back to Canada and seen his family. And shortly before the war ended, he started having some dizzy spells, and uh, he's having some speech difficulties. And the physicians knew that this could probably be a brain tumor. And as he was sitting down talking to a 17-year-old, he was talking about surrender. He, he barely got the word surrender out of his mouth, and he died. And um, some people may say that's a tragedy. He never, he never saw his family again. But he had an impact eternally on over 300 kids because of his faith in God. And Eric 
when he was talking to a group of 80 hardline redneck coal miners. He said this, the strength that he felt within himself from the sure knowledge of God's love and support. He had a sure knowledge of God's love and support of how he never, get this, he never questioned anything that happened either to himself or to others. He didn't need explanations from God. He simply believed in him and accepted whatever came. I don't know about you, but I fall pretty short of that. He never questioned God, didn't need an explanation. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus said, unless you are converted and become like, as children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. God wants us to be children who trust him. Ask yourself, please ask yourself, has God accomplished anything in me? Ask yourself that question. Has God accomplished anything in me? Has he accomplished any spiritual work at all in me? Do I really believe that God will do in me what I can't do? As I asked before, can a sinner be turned into a saint? Can a twisted life be made right? What is it that you're faced with right now? It's easier to do something, as I said before, rather than just simply believe in God. We need to sometimes say, Lord, help my unbelief. That's being real. If you realize that he saved you, why stop there? I think we do. God, we, he saves us and we stop right there. Whatever you're going through right now, the God of the impossible can do it. Lord, help our unbelief. Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. In the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, Faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. Will I love God more than myself? Will I trust in him more than myself? Do I really believe he orchestrates the circumstances of my life? Our faith glorifies him. Do you think that God wants to glorify himself in you? Do you really believe that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God Almighty has chosen you, which he has, wants to glorify himself in you? Have you ever thought about that? He wants to. I'll answer the question. He wants to glorify himself in each of us. His son Jesus, the spirit of Christ is in us. He wants to glorify his son in us. You and me, as imperfect as we are. 
And he does that when we walk in faith, when we trust in him, when we choose to believe him in trials, relationship, health, finances. God wants to be glorified in your life in those circumstances by faith. I have come short in these areas. But that's the first step. When we recognize how short we fall, that's the beginning. And then we say, Lord, help our unbelief. Help me to trust in you in every circumstance of my life. And Lord, when I fail, I'm going to repent and I'm going to trust in you. When you stub your toe and you have wrong thoughts, God still says, okay, you can repent. And then you can go on and be thankful and rejoice. God's saying, you can come as close to me as you want. Every day you're going to have opportunities. I'm going to have opportunities to obey him. And it normally happens in relationships. We need to get under authority. And tomorrow and today and this afternoon when you leave church, you're going to be tested. You can count on it. I was tested this morning and failed, but I repented. God wants to be glorified when we trust in him. He wants to glorify his son in us by faith. God help us. Lord, I just thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray for each of us, Lord, that first of all, we recognize how we fall short. We are all weak. But Lord, we can trust in you and our weaknesses. Lord, I pray that you will find a church here, Lord God, that does those things that please you. You say without faith it's impossible to please you. Lord, that we be people who walk in faith, who trust in you. God, help all of us. In every circumstance that we find us in, those things that we feel that are difficult, nothing is impossible to those who believe in you. Nothing. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will show each of us, even this week as we trust in you, that you are faithful, and that you will bring it to pass. You will perfect us. You will help us. May your name be lifted up and glorified in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Have a good day.